Hey, hey! Welcome to Bonus Barrel! Seiji. Yep. You know, we had a strong week last week. <laughs> now it's back. <laughs> uh, but hey, you know what? If we can't have enough hosts to make it worthwhile, at least we'll have a great topic to make it worthwhile. So before we do get to the topic, of course, there is the, the little the little random bits and thoughts that, that we may have uh, that happened the last few episodes or whatever. Anyways, the PS5 reveal. That was a thing that happened. Um, kind of snuck up on me. But I did watch it. And I, so I went into it. So it's interesting. because I like Sony. But I don't know. Lately, most, most of my love has been Nintendo and the Switch. I just really love playing the Switch. But I, I, do, I do love... I love Sony. I love Sony games. And they're, you know, I play Final Fantasy VII on my PlayStation. So clearly, my love is still there. Um, but I wasn't... Hyped. Like, it's like I said before, I don't think I've been hyped about it, anything lately. I just the only thing I've recalled myself saying recently is like, "Hey, uh, I can really go for a Nintendo Direct right because I always it's always, they're always fun and whimsical. I want to, I love Nintendo, so I, I was like, okay, I'll watch the the PlayStation thing, but I wasn't hyped or anything. Just turned it on, but then I found myself I was gonna draw while watching and kind of just have a background, but I, I wound up like just kind of sitting there watching the entire thing. And getting pumped and hyped like I would if I was watching an E3, really. and because uh, they showed a lot of fun-looking games that I really, really want to play, and uh, <clears throat> so I, I, I wanted to just mention a few of those games and also ask your thoughts on the visuals of the console because I have some feelings. Um, but some of the, some of the games did you so did you you didn't watch it right? I did. Oh, awesome! That's great. Then, then we'll be able to have way more of a conversation than I thought we would have. So the thing with me is that I'm not a a Sony user, a PlayStation user. So I, it's hard for me to get excited about it. But I did watch it because I I like games and I like to see what's new. And I yeah. have I have some opinions, some really bad ones because I'm not in context. But one thing that okay. I do know is that the the PlayStation Four has been the dominant console for what it seems like a decade or something, right? It's, it's been yeah, so long mm-hmm. since the PlayStation 4 and it was dominant since the beginning and it's over 100 million units sold. So I don't know, it, yeah. in my eyes, you know, a new PlayStation is like a big gaming event, right? So I think it is. Well, they did the thing, they did it right. They basically just showed, they did what we always want them to do in, in three, and that's just show games and, and don't, don't bring a bunch of weirdos on stage and don't fake shit and don't also to PlayStation's point, don't set up a giant set that you have to move in between a bunch of times. Just uh, show us a bunch of games. So we really want, and also of course the console in this case, because it was a console reveal. Um, and they did that. And I was pleasantly surprised. There was a lot of games that I was interested in, but I wrote down a few that I was especially interested in. So like the horizon sequel, um, I love I loved Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, I controversially said that I prefer Horizon over Breath of the Wild, and I still stand by that. And um, yeah, the sequel looks like a really fun 
and sequel. I, I love post-apocalyptic games. I love the setting of, of Horizon. I, I liked Alloy. She's a really cool character. And I look forward to playing more of that. Fancier console. But I would have looked forward to it on any. Um, then they had that Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Well, actually, this is not in order. This is one of the first ones. But Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart looks really cool because I actually quite like the um, the cartoony style of Ratchet and Clank. I never, I don't think I've ever beat one. I've played uh, like a few of them. I don't think I've ever finished a Ratchet and Clank, and, I, and I'm meaning to. I have, I think, all of them on PlayStation Four, possibly whatever the collections are on. So, at some point, I'm gonna have to sit down and play through these because they're really fun games uh, and they look so they're so pretty they're like i don't know they're maybe not quite as good as pixar but it's like it's like playing one of those those movies. And, uh, yeah and then of course they had the spider-man sequel with miles morales that's awesome um spider-man was great so and miles morales is a really cool character one i've read most of his comics and i'm pretty that's pretty cool and more spider-man is Excellent in my eyes. I, I'm just going to go through the last three that I like and then say, you'll get your opinions on those games or any, any other games you also, that you thought. Resident Evil 8. I loved Resident Evil 7. I've been slowly picking my way through Resident Evil games the last couple of years. Like, I, I beat Resident Evil 1 last year. I beat 2 this year. I beat 4, I think, a couple of years ago, and I beat 7 when it came out. So I think I've played more of the main ones than, I, than I've not played at this um, so eight looked really cool, and the the tone and setting of that was awesome. So I definitely want to play that. I'm sure Shelby's pretty excited about that. Uh, then there was Stray. That was a strange looking game. I love games with unique concepts, and it looks like you might play as a cat with a with a with a camera on his back or something. And all the people in that game are robots. And I don't know if it's going to be a metaphor thing, like this is how cats see people, or if it literally will be just robot people and it's like one of the last living things i have a lot of thoughts on how that could go but you get to play as an adorable kitty cat so that's fantastic and lastly the one that really stood to me was ghostwire tokyo and i, and I realized that not all these are are exclusive to playstation 5 but i mean i'm not going to play them on xbox so for me they are and uh, yeah ghostwire tokyo i love paranormal like settings and stuff i don't believe in paranormal stuff but i really really like myths and folklore and, and legends and weird ghosts and creatures and, and because I'm a weeb trash shit, I really like yokai and weird Japanese uh, ghosts and stuff. And to me Ghostwire Tokyo looked a lot like, like Japan's take on Ghostbusters or something. You're just, instead of like science and backpacks, you have these weird, weird psychic powers and you're taking down ghosts and shit. Anyways, it looks great. I really want to play that. And, uh, yeah, those are the ones that stood out to me. There's definitely other ones I thought looked really cool, but the ones I can remember that I, I thought looked fun. Did you, What did you think of some of the games there? So, as, as I said, like, it, it's hard for me to, to really get excited about uh, some of these games. Um, they have a very distinct kind of look that I don't love. Um, the one that stood out for me, I guess, was uh, that one from from The Brothers. Remember that one? Um, the uh, kind of... Bridge of Spirits. Yeah, that looked cool too, actually. That's I was kind of like the one that I was looking at it and, and, and I wasn't thinking, oh, this looks like too PlayStation-y for me. But <laughs> you, you see, help me understand something. 
because okay to me sony playstation stuff is like it has a very distinct look they want everything to be epic and cinematic and and whatever but and, and, I, and I get that, right? If you if that's your thing, that's great. But I'm going to put it in like in Nintendo terms. Like, let's say if Nintendo came up with a new Switch, right? So it's the same mm-hmm. kind of form factor, but it's but it's newer and it has some uh, some new chip, right? So th- there's what, what they're selling to me is the idea of improved graphics, right? And performance. Sure. And then they, they show a bunch of games, mm. right? That has like marginal visual improvements. Like I, I don't know if I if I would get excited about the console itself. Like I wouldn't understand why are you putting out a new console. A lot of these games they they sort of like seem like they they could be easily released in the PS4. A lot of them did look like they would fit in the PS4 just fine. And uh, yeah, well I think we get to the point now where the graphics are so close to <laughs> I don't know. It's in that uncanny valley area area I guess at this point. But like. Um, Seven years is a long time for hardware for hardware not to be upgraded. I think so. Like, yeah, maybe the visual performance that we're seeing isn't going to be that different. And also, it's early on in the in the you know development phase of a lot of of developing stuff for this console because it's new. Uh, maybe the graphics aren't going to take as big a leap. And I don't think we're ever going to get as big a leap from PS2 to PS3. Anyways, I think uh, and PS3 to PS4 wasn't even the massive most massive leap. But other things like you know speeding things up, allowing you to use more, put more on screen and to not lose, um, you know, quality drops or having to sacrifice things or being able to use different, more advanced like lighting systems and more polygons and, and more effects and more lighting. I think that, that, that comes a lot, that a lot of that background stuff, you know, I don't, I'm not a technical person. So for, I'm definitely using terms wrong, but like, you know, increasing their processing speed and, and the amount you can hold and display without, without losing frame rate, all that stuff is probably things that we don't see just looking at gameplay that will actually enhance the experience or, or, or maybe you could think of it as loosening the bands around uh, developers wrists so that they can do more that they want to do without having to sacrifice quality or stuff or or just to make things run smoothly i don't know this, this is all what i'm i'm thinking because you're right that the graphics don't look that much different um but but i bet you there's a lot of things that make the developers of these types and i don't think you and i have ever developed for a console before so we have no idea what probably what it's like to yeah i don't know we, yeah I, don't, I, don't know. I get your point i think it's it's pretty fair um but that's not like i'm not saying that having increased technical capabilities it's is not mm-hmm. a good enough reason to release a new console right i mean that's fine thingy the yeah. problem the problem i have here with the with the message was that you're trying to get people excited about the console right mm-hmm. and then you they throw at you all these things about like ray tracing and 4k <laughs> and 3d audio and it and i'm like okay so i get that but if that is your main selling point to get people excited about about this console, right? And then you, you got to show like something really, really impressive, but it's so hard. Like you, you're putting people on the position of having to explain themselves and like, yeah, but it's going to have 4K, but it's going to have, you know, ray tracing. And, and like, if you're going to try to win that race, like you're not going to, are you trying to compete with PC? Like, because you're not going to win. No. So it's like a lot of technical stuff. And then you put the games as a bait, like, oh, this is the content that is going to be here. And this content is great because the PlayStation 5, it's so cool. Like, 
I don't know. It felt a little bit underwhelming for me from uh, mm. an outsider point of view. Like, I'm not someone that is going to buy a PlayStation. I know people that do like PlayStation. I do li- I, I do understand, like, the kinds of games that they like. And then they start with, like, Grand, Grand Theft Auto Five, And I'm like, isn't that game from, like, two generations ago? Like, I don't know. And then they go with, like, Gran Turismo and these kinds of things and, like, the NBA games. And, and that's fine. People like those yeah, no, I understand. I understand that that I I also enjoy sports games. Don't get me wrong. Oh. I don't know. I I felt it was a, a weird presentation. It was kind of weird. But in it terms of normal. content, it was mm. great, right? Because it was it it felt E three level, right? Yeah, it did. It, did. it was a it's a weird sales pitch. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I I kind of I see a lot of your. your I I think in some ways you could just say. This PlayStation 5 is the next PlayStation, and that's probably enough for a large majority of their of their consumers. People who have, like you said, 100 million PlayStation 4 sold. Most people there like their PlayStation or are happy to have it. When they hear new ones coming, that's probably all it would take for like half of those people to be interested in, in upgrading right away. Or maybe a quarter. And even if it was just a quarter, that's still a crazy amount. I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm a game a gamer and a collector, so to me it was a no-brainer. Like, of course, I'm going to get the next PlayStation. I don't even need to be hyped about it. It's PlayStation. I'm going to buy it, just like I would buy a Nintendo upgrade or new system without even thinking about it, because I, I trust and like both companies. So I just kind of get, kind of get them. Uh, so I, maybe I'm not the good good example of the Target demo because I just I love new consoles. And, uh, yeah. I don't know. I get your point. I, I also do, I, I do want to mention though that I don't like I don't really like the way it looks. <laughs> I, I don't like the way that the Xbox looks either. I didn't re- I didn't because I don't pay attention to Microsoft. Um, you know the Xbox stuff. I didn't really know what it looked like until after this com- after the PlayStation conference because I asked someone to show me. And it looks like a little refrigerator. <laughs> and this, and about about the PlayStation being an air freshener and stuff is hilarious because yeah I can see that. When I first saw it, I was like, what is this, some fucking weird sci-fi building? What is going on here? And it was on the PlayStation. I don't know. I don't like, I don't, I read rather a, f- a solid color, I think, for my consoles. At least, unless, unless it's like Nintendo, I guess. But, like, all my PlayStation shit's just pure black. I, I kind of want to keep it that way. I don't like this uh, weird plastic shell. Like, my like my PlayStation needs armor to protect itself. <laughs> Yeah. But you know, I don't I don't buy consoles for aesthetics. And I know that I had I had friends mention like this is gonna ruin the decor of the of the of the place, you know, it's not gonna match things. And I, I live like a college student still where all of our shit's just a pile of stuff and uh, I don't really care. It doesn't match, I don't give a shit. I have like twelve consoles jammed into this small little space anyways, nothing's matching there. Um so yeah, I don't know. It's just, it looks cool though. I'm I'm finding my my thoughts as as you were speaking about, like how, like the thought that is a PlayStation Five, like the next PlayStation, it's enough. You're the market leader, and this is a PlayStation Five, and this is what your people want. You don't need to try so hard. I think Sony is trying too hard to sell and justify the existence of the PlayStation Five with the messaging and the look of the console, right? Like, oh, it's so different, look, it's so new. It's definitely not the PS4. Like, this is the new thing and you got to get yeah. it because of ray tracing. And also, like, the next few games that you like in the series are going to be here, right? Oh, yeah, all they really need to do is, like, PlayStation. All those games you love are going to be a bit better and the console is better. And just buy it. And then there you go. 
Yeah, it seemed to me like like Tony was acting as if they failed on the previous generation. Maybe I'm not really sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, you feel like they're you feel like they're justifying uh, its existence. I, I don't know. It's weird. Like grow like it, growing up from like let's say PlayStation One, then after you get the PlayStation Two, like to me, every five years there's a new console, and that was, and that new console is going to be a bit better than the last one, or a lot better in some cases. And that was that was it. I would just get hyped based on that as a kid, like or some of my teens in the early twenties. I'm like, all right, new console. Oh yeah, this is going to be awesome. And that was that's all I. I didn't even. I never cared about technical specs. Like I remember I would read like uh, EGM and stuff, and, or PlayStation official PlayStation magazine and all of that. And like it would talk about all all those statistics and stuff. I'm like, I don't give a shit. Just show me the games that's coming out on it. Show me some screenshots. I want it. I already want it. I just give it to me. That's how I felt, and I guess it's not. That's really not that much for me. I mean, I'm a little more critical now, but it's still a new PlayStation. Like it's, that's the other thing that I think it was a reason why I didn't wasn't hyped about watching the the presentation was because in my mind I was like, well, I already know I want it. I don't. I I'm gonna buy it, so I don't care. I didn't know going in they were gonna show a bunch of cool games, uh, which is why I, I found myself kind of like really invested in watching it. But like. But initially, I was like, "Oh, is this just they're just going to talk about the actual console and stuff?" Like, that's cool, but I, 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 I want it, so I'm not gonna. I don't really need to sit down for an hour and watch them talk about the new console. But yeah. When you're raising the technical bar, you're also raising the cost of games, right? Because you have to, <laughs> you have to create all, a lot more assets, right? So and it's going to take longer and. You know, unless there's better tools, right, that allow you to to work faster, um, yeah, there's gonna be less games, right? I don't know, like that, yeah. that's what it seems to me. Like less, it's gonna take three, four, or five years to develop a game, and and that how many games can you can you make in one generation? Right, you can make a couple. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying, like <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe what I'm saying here is that I'm justifying my not my dislike, but why I, I don't get really excited about oh, this kind of approach to gaming. Mm. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Like, I love it when people can get excited and, and are happy, but I don't know. Like, the, if the messaging is going to be, oh, it's going to look so good in 4K with the ray tracing, like, okay, that's fine, but, you know, that's not for me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully for, for some people. <laughs> ray tracing. The ray tracing thing is... I love yeah, it, obviously man. Obviously, no, no regular person gives a shit. You ready to do the topic, or do you have something you'd like to... Topic. Let's go. Let's do it. Up next, topic! The game we were talking about this month is where the hell is Edith Finch at? Well, <laughs> something like that, right? Yeah. Where's she? Nah, what remains of Edith Finch, which I'm pretty sure Cartridge Club recently did or is doing, so not intentional. Our bad. Uh, developed by Giant Sparrow, published by Annapurna Interactive. 
and uh, it's on Windows, PlayStation 4, Xbone, Nintendo Switch. Nintendo Switch got it two years after the Xbox, so it was a while. Yeah, uh, and it's considered an adventure game. So there you go. What what do you have? What do you have on this game, CG? Well, I was looking at the development story. So it's developed by this studio called Giant Sparrow, and they've mm. only done one game uh, before. What remains of Edith Finch called The Unfinished Swan. Have you have you heard of a, that game? No. The Unfinished uh, Swan was a PS exclusive. Okay. Yeah, and it seems like it's a very artsy game. Apparently, it's all blank, and you have to like throw paint to reveal oh, like fun. the uh, the shapes of the world. Mm. I don't really know about the story, but I do know that it belongs in the same universe as What Remains of Edith Finch. Interesting. Ooh, cool. Yeah? I love stuff yeah. like that. That's... So th- there's a character in The Unfinished uh, Swan, which is the king. And apparently the king is Milton Finch. Really? So there you go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. And we'll get to that. But when I was, uh, when I played the uh, Milton story in the game, it was like the one that was like a little bit too different than the other, other ones. Right. And, and now to me, it makes sense because it was just being like a nod to the other game. Like, okay. So you want to know like the full story, you know, go, go and play the other game. (laughs) So it's, it's a good I guess it's a good plug. <laughs> yeah. So uh, James Sparrow was working with Sony, um, uh, making the unfinished one. And then apparently they did okay with that game, received good reviews. And then they made What Remains of Edith Finch. But in the case of Edith Finch, it's not a PlayStation exclusive, although it was released first on PlayStation 4 and Windows in 2017, as you mentioned. And uh, mm-hmm. the main guy there, which is the director and the writer for both the unfinished Swan and Edith Finch, is uh, this guy called Ian Dallas. So the developer is an indie development studio. Um, so this would be, I guess, an indie game. Yeah, feels like one in, in the best way possible. I wanted to ask you, like it says there that it's an adventure story. How would you categorize? Like, what is it? So adventure games traditionally mean the kind of point and click type of, th- type of games, right? Like a Day of Tentacle and other, I don't play a lot of Mist stuff right isn't that aren't those I, I remember always thinking adventure was a weird name for that genre but I, I i think it's that type of genre in which case do walking sims quote unquote fit under the adventure uh adventure game i guess they do so in which case i guess yeah it makes sense to me uh but you know if i was being flippant i would say it's a walking sim or or i, I almost said puzzle game but it's not really a puzzle game yeah it's really it's an interactive story you're just you know, you have autonomy. You can move around and stuff. And I think you could probably miss it, maybe. But but you're basically following a story, and 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 the way the game leads you through it is is fantastic. Like the the text, you're the text is literally pulling you into the story and pulling you around the game. But you know, you basically you you have this this area that you're exploring. You control your character. You can move around and look at things and, and interact a little bit. But that's it. That's that's it. All the rest here that you're going to get through this game is 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 just seeing the various stories told out. Now this game has a good twist on that in its presentation style, um, which when we discuss the characters, we'll we'll be more specific about those. But basically, every time that, that your character, which I, I believe is is also is Edith, right? Uh, yeah. So you're playing as Edith, and her grandmother was also Edith, but she went by Edith. So I think she passed away and left the place to Edith. And and the last time Edith was there was with her mom, uh, and they had left abruptly because you know there's shit going down. And they want she just wanted to leave. 
So you hadn't been back there since the night you left. And now that you're back, you're just kind of reliving and, or rather seeing, exploring the places of the house that you were never allowed to explore as a kid and finding out about its, its residence. And every time you find out about a residence, you find it out through a story segment that is different than the main gameplay. The main gameplay or whatever, the main stance that you have on the world is kind of like the real world. You know, you're, you're, it's told from a first-person perspective of, of Edith, and you're in a house. It's slightly stylized, but it's still... That's the grounded reality that you're more or less in. And as you're going through each of these people's paths, you live through different... different the, the storytelling methods are different. For example, there's one that's told through a comic book, one told through the perspective of animals, one that's a, a flip book. And so there's... All, there's we'll, and again, we're, when we get to the spoiler part, we'll talk more about that stuff, because there's some really fucking weird shit there. Um, but, like, yes, yeah, so you're being led along by the, the narration. So when you're in the environment... The story, if, as you're moving in the direction that you're supposed to go, supposed to go, text will show up like a storybook, and it will kind of like, oftentimes be in the distance or point you to where you need to go. So you're being led by the story. But I didn't see it as being like handheld. I saw it as being drawn in, and because because in this game it's pretty much all the story anyway. So, um, it, you know, it is a it is a fairly linear game, and you're just kind of going through and learning, but. Yeah, interactive story is, is the best way I would put it, but I, I do think qualifies under the adventure umbrella, just purely for the reason that games decide that adventure is that genre of, of kind of point-and-clicky story game. You've played more games than I have, especially like newer games. Um, does Edith Finch remind you of any other games? Absolutely. Uh, it reminds me of Everyone's Gone to the Rapture, uh, it reminds me of what's the, the other one I always get mixed up with Edith Finch. It's like a, something, Dear Esther. It reminds me of Dear Esther, and it does remind me a little bit of the Telltale games, like Walking Dead and stuff, but not quite. No, they're pretty, they feel kind of similar. There's a little more interaction in Walking Dead, this, but, that, but everybody's gone to the Rapture, for example, is very similar in that you're in a town where everyone's disappeared. And you're you're kind of exploring the town to find out what the hell's going on, but you don't really do anything. You're not like you don't get attacked by anything. You're just exploring houses and, and looking around, and kind of following a, a, a narrative at your own pace. So I, I see it as very similar to to that game. Interesting, because I became really interested in this type of genre, whatever this is. I don't think it's exactly an adventure game, um, but it's something in that umbrella for sure. Um, uh, an adventure interactive story game. I don't know. But there are definitely games like this, or at least games that I'm reminded of while mm -hmm. playing it. Um, as a matter of fact, it didn't feel... When I started playing it, it didn't feel like so new to me because I had played games like this. But the actual the way that it tells a story, I think, is better than a lot of the other ones I've played. So there is definitely elements to this game that feels new. But to me, there is a type of game that you are playing where you are walking and exploring an area, and there's no real threat of a game over or anything and you're there to experience a story and that's pretty much it which is why i think it, the, these these got the nickname of walking simulators because all you're really doing is walking around mm -hmm. and really when you boil it down it's pretty much all you're doing in these games you're walking around and, and enjoying a story so yeah there's definitely a there's a lot of of those types of games i, I don't know if any is on the switch but uh I can take a look at some point. I think Walking Dead will be a little bit more action-oriented than something like this, but I, I feel like you won't be out of place playing it because they're kind of similar in a lot of ways. I played Dear Esther. I liked it, but to 
directly compare it. You don't see a similarity between the two? I see the similarities, but I don't think they're that similar. Hmm. In DS3, if I remember correctly, like you're put in this island and you're going through yeah. the island and and when you get to it, like you reveal parts of the narration, right? Yeah. You're walking around and stuff. But in this game, it definitely has that part, but it also has yeah. some other systems in there that um to me that's what's really driving the experience is is not getting to a place to reveal the next part of the story i mean in a, in a very abstract way yes but in in a, in a more let's say from a gameplay perspective you're really going through mini games in a way right kind of yeah 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 because yeah. there's more interaction for those ones for sure yeah which is something that dear esther doesn't really have and that's kind of like the part of the puzzle solving kind of nature that those mini games have of course everything is in service of the story so in that sense mm. yes it is it is similar i would say that the mini game if which is a good way of putting it the mini game mechanic is what separates it from those other ones but those other games are basically you start at a point and your only real action that you can take is to walk and experience the story as you go and in which case i don't think Edith finch is that different except that yes the mini games set to- set it totally different and also mechanically a bit different they're not like super involved mini games but they're but they're enough that it feels different every time which i think does elevate it more than those other games that i mentioned those other games are fun but i think that this game is like those games but better because it does yeah. more interesting things and even calling them mini games it seems unfair because a minigame could be like a straight-up puzzle game, right? Something that is devoid of any narrative value to the whole game. But in this game, is like what those minigames really do is understanding that character, right? They put you on the yeah. like literally on the, in the shoes of that character, so that you can experience what they were feeling. And the gameplay mechanics, the tone and the feel of those minigames are so unique. When you are in the context of the game, like you understand that their motivations, you understand, you know, their world and you like, I don't want, are, are we getting into spoilers now? Because <laughs> spoiler alert. Uh, yes, <laughs> like what you're really understanding is their deaths, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they all have these really, like I read your notes. I found most of them to be really funny. i think they're mostly horrifying but some of them are kind of funny too like the swing set or or the or the kite well we can just go through them so this is heavy 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 spoilers if you've not played this game i think you should stop right now play the game it takes like two or three hours and then come back and listen to the rest of it so definitely listen to the rest of it as a matter of fact start the whole episode over again and play it through entirely but uh but seriously though like heavy heavy spoilers because I want to talk about all the various characters and gameplay mechanics that come with them. Yeah. But you can't do that with spoiling stuff. So at, at this point, nothing left but spoilers and then ultimately damage. So you've been warned. I can't remember the exact order, but I, I remember I started with Molly. Molly's a kid. She, was, she lived from 1937 to 1947. Not a long life. 
I'll read my notes, but I don't think this is actually how it was because I didn't know how the game was like at this point. I think I stopped after the first sequence and like, okay, this is what happened. Is that I don't want to forget. So I said, she was a kid <laughs> who apparently dreamed of being different animals. Uh, seems as though she did not leave her place much, but had an interest in the natural world. Uh, so that's not entirely wrong. I, I think that she was a, a person who felt trapped and wanted to see the world she she had a big interest you can see in her room that she has a huge interest in the natural world like different encyclopedias and stuff so that was a really cool way of showing her but basically it's through the narrative of her telling talking about some dream uh and 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 ended with she started as a cat which the cat was making some crazy jumps i didn't i did not feel comfortable i did not want the cat to fall uh and then you become like a shark and I don't remember the entire sequence, but basically you're becoming different animals. And as you're, you're basically eating your way up in a lot of ways, because <laughs> at some point you're a bird and you're catching and a hare. Eventually you're, like I said, you're eventually you're a shark and you're underwater. And I th- are you hunting like seals? I think it's seals. Yeah, It's pretty sad. I don't like seeing animals hurt, even, even in fiction. But eventually <laughs> you're a monster on a boat and you're hunting people. And the mechanic is pretty cool because, so each, each, John, you jump, the mechanics change a little bit because you're playing a different animal. But the monster one, I didn't get at first. I'm like, how the fuck am I moving? Am I just sliding forward? But really what's happening is you're controlling where the tentacle goes, and then you pull yourself in that direction at the at, once you've picked where you want it to go. And I thought that was really cool. And like, you really feel, you have like a low perspective, it's dark, and you feel like you're playing like this B-movie horror sequence. And uh, it was a lot of fun, and then eventually you, you wind up almost like you you kill her kill yourself uh as the monster right this, 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 or does she wake up i can't she must wake up does she wake up she wakes up right you kind of like eat yourself <laughs> okay, so it happen like that but she must have woken up technically because you're reading her writing but uh i don't know how, how does she die though do you know how she dies no i have no idea no all right i didn't get it can i expand on some of the ideas that you were describing yeah, so the game itself, what it is, and this is what I understand, and I'm going to take a little bit of a step back. Okay. You're taking control of Edith, which is one member of the family. And as it is mentioned, you are the last surviving member of this family. But what Edith is doing, she's coming back to that family home for generations, and she knows the house really well, but not so well, because the story of the yeah. family is that all the rooms, the original rooms where each member lived, are mm. still there intact because yeah. the great grandmother Edie she would just make new rooms for the new members of the family and the ones that that are gone um, they became sort of like shrines right of of those members and so when you're exploring the the house in the beginning like the last ones that live there are Edith's immediate family members your mother your brothers and this is why I I, <laughs> I struggled a little bit in the beginning because I was really like trying to get to know all of these details and and uh, I, I was looking at, at the pictures on the on the fridge and I was looking at the titles of the books and I was I was getting into into this world mm. but then when you get to Molly like that's the first uh, time where like you you get into the room of I think is uh, y- your mother gives you a key, right? So you have a key yeah. on your on your necklace. The initial motivation is you're, you're trying to find where that key fits, right? Yeah. And it ultimately fits on a block pad that is placed <laughs> in, a, in book. a book, right? Yeah, yeah. That's how you get access to Molly's room. Whenever you get to a room, you get to know all the decor and you get a lot of the flavor of the character, right? 
And finally, yeah. there's always a, a little bit of a shrine inside of those rooms where it has a picture and there's always some sort of a, a writing, right? Like a poem or uh, some diary or something like that. And in the case of Molly, she's, she just wrote like a story, right? About how yeah. she one night she was really, really hungry. And so the story starts where you gain control of Molly initially. And then you're eating your toothpaste and, <laughs> and you're eating, I don't know what other stuff. And then you, you try to eat a bird that it's on the window. And that's when you turn into a cat. And that right. was so surprising. Like, that, was, that was amazing. Like I, I did like the story and the flow of the story itself. I, what I was complaining about was a different thing. It was more, more about the, uh, uh, the onboarding of the experience. But and then all the stuff that you mentioned happened, and I, I just wanted to mention like the context of, of where, where it's happening because when you transform into the monster, you eat, I think, your dad or something, and then you come back and you're trying to eat yourself, and then you're under the uh, the bed or something, and then you wake up and you're Molly again, and now she's afraid that the monster is under the bed and she's and, and the monster is waiting because it's so hungry. It's messed up, but it's it's yeah. I, I, I thought it was so so funny too. <laughs> <laughs> so after molly i will just go by order of the tree i don't think this is quite the right order well who do you remember who is next because i have barbara but i don't know if she was next i think it's edie so edie died or disappeared after dawn and edith leaves that she just kind of goes right yeah they're gonna, oh yeah they're gonna, take her, they're gonna take her to a home so basically, basically one of the, I think the setup is the, so Edith has two siblings, Milton and Lewis, and one of them at some point something happens to one of them or he disappears or something, and that that night, uh, Edith's mom is like, yeah, we're leaving, we're out of here. That your this place is a shrine to death or some shit. Stop with the stories, we're just gone, and then we'll 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 send we'll and she's like we'll send for uh, the the people to bring you to a home tomorrow, and they leave, and then the next day. The, the people come to take her away, but she's gone. She already left or something. So we don't even know what happened. It's, uh, who knows? But she, yeah. she's so that's kind of like the mystery, right? Yeah. And you also find out early on about Odin. And I'll just go through him too a little bit. He, so he was like the, 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 the guy who founded this, this family, right? See, the way it's told, his story is told through is, um, I really liked it. It was a viewfinder. I don't know if, the kids out there <laughs> remember what a viewfinder is, or if they're still relevant. Maybe they're still relevant. I don't know. But viewfinders are like these like binocular-looking things that you would put this uh, circle, and on the circle is a bunch of little little pictures, and then you can just spin through to look at these pictures. And they're, they're, as a kid, they're really fun. But they but the, this story is kind of told through one of those things. So you're basically snapping through snippets of the past, and and they look they're like these little. They look like old-timey photos and stuff. The artist did a great job. Yep. Uh, you just learn about how Odin left uh, where, Norway or Sweden or something like that. Norway. Uh, he left with his boat and his house on his boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, probably going across the Atlantic with it, which is insane. And, and you know, to, to their credit, they make it almost all the way there until uh, the boat just offshore like capsizes or something and the house crashes into the water and then he and his family is like all right well i guess we're building a new house and that's what starts this uh you know that's the house that you're yeah. playing now dude the game i want to mention something mm. so this sure. house 
is mentioned to be in Orcas Island, correct? Is it a real place? It's in the States, it's in Washington, but it's pretty close to Victoria. So it's, it's around there. It's an island around that, that part. Now, you mentioned, you know, these guys sailing over the Atlantic, right? But it doesn't make any sense because you, yeah, you well, couldn't get to this coast. So they'll have to go all the way around the world <laughs> to get to, <laughs> to this place. So it's even, you know, it gets even weirder. Maybe it's a different island. We, we, it doesn't, there could be other Orcas Island. It could be. That's only, I, I can't. I can't accept that they sailed around the world with a house. Like, I can oh, yeah. barely believe that they could get across the Atlantic with a houseboat. As a matter of fact, I don't really believe that. But I'm pretty sure it is because there was mention of San Juan, which is like the name of those islands. Like Orgas Island is, is, is in that area. Remember when you get to Lewis's room, he has this sign for a beer, I think, San Juan Brewery or something like, like that is mentioned. And I did... Uh, notice um references to places that are close to here so i was i was like this doesn't make any sense but anyway i mean it's a game so let's <laughs> i just wanted to mention that <laughs> maybe maybe they really came not from norway but just from from bc maybe and then they sailed down like a couple hours away yeah <laughs> i don't know but yeah it's a game so yeah so that's that's kind of you know, I, I, he dies in 1937. I don't know how much longer that is after they arrived there. He dies pretty soon, right? Is that the beginning of the of the curse of the family or some shit? Yeah, he he doesn't make it, right? At all? I don't think so. Oh, no, he, he dies with the with the house, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and so is it Edie who? No, Edie and Sven. Wait, yeah, yeah. So she helps because she was born 1917. So she would have been 20 when they were over there. So she's the one that kind of builds the house. Yeah. Well, well Sven. Yeah. So then we have, we'll go by a family tree. We have Barbara. Um, so this one was awesome. So she, she lived 1944 to, to 1960. She was a child star. So her room, her room has like a lot of like the like 50s memorabilia to, to like, I don't know, B movies and stuff. And she was famous for her horror screen. You know, she she was that a kid who could just be like, ah, and everybody's like, oh, she's so good at screaming. And um, so she was kind of washed up at this point, right? By the time the story, her story takes place. Yeah, she's uh, 16, yeah. And and she's being told, it's being told through a bunch of parodies. So here, here's my notes. I, I, I think this was one of my favorite ones, to be honest. But I, I wrote, I love this. It had a few homages in it that I recognize. So besides being a play on the slasher genre in general, there was the iconic Halloween music playing the, the, from the Halloween series. Uh, and then what starts off as a 60s style horror comic, which is a lot like eerie tales and, and uh, other, I think Marvel published a lot of comics like this too, actually. They're, they're, for a while, horror comics were a really popular genre in comic books. So it becomes this interactive element where you're playing through her and throughout her various scenes in the comic, all while being narrated by what is obviously a Tales, of the Crypt, Tales from the Crypt Keeper uh, parody. So, so it's like, if you know any of that stuff, it's like really, it's really fun sequence where you're just playing like this horror movie cliche with all these references to actually that time period, more or less. I, although I think Halloween was like the 80s, or I could be wrong. Um, but anyway, so the story itself has a kind of a lot of twists and turns. You don't know exactly how she dies. I don't know how she dies. Do you? Well, that's kind of like the mystery, right? But I mean, yeah. in the end, what the police said i think is that it, it was the the boyfriend right right 
So because because we're the story is being told through an unreliable narrator, we don't exactly know what really happened. <laughs> so after so we so then there was Calvin. Because uh, <laughs> someone's kind of funny and also not funny at all. But basically, Calvin, uh, he wanted to go to he wanted to be an astronaut, right? So he was born 1950 and he died in 1961. And their room is really cool because you're in you're in uh, Calvin and his brother's room. Which one, which one was his brother though? I can't even remember. Sam. Sam. Oh, okay. So Sam Sam lived a, a, um, quite a bit longer. All right. So yeah, Cal, <laughs> Calvin. Yeah, you really want. So so the room is is really interesting because it's divided in half, and and it's really cool seeing the two brothers' room. I, I just want. Like, Calvin's is all like space oriented. He has his cool little command center above and stuff. And so Edie, Edie wrote, roped it off when he died because everything is a, is a shrine, like you said. And his sequence is you're just playing on a swing. And Calvin always wanted to, to, to spin around the swing. Every, every kid wants to swing so fast that you can swing around and over, which I, I'm pretty sure is impossible or supposedly impossible. Mm-hmm. But as he swings, higher and higher the wind is picking up and for whatever reason they're swinging right at the edge of a cliff not a great place to put your swing uh and then so usually you can predict the wind blows too hard he's swinging hard and then he makes it to space or crashes to the rocks below guys and this is written by sam and he's saying something about how calvin always did whatever he sets his mind to (laughs) And yeah that's kind of like the context yeah <laughs> that was a, it was it was some dark humor i found oh yeah kinda... however his brother's story sam yeah is not as funny i found i was like holy shit i remember like holy shit at the end of that one so this one this is the only one in the game the only only part of the game sorry where i actually got stuck and had to look it up because i couldn't figure out what the fuck i had done wrong so basically this one's told this is the perspective of of sam which i is uh, sam is Edith's mom's dad. Yes. Correct? Yes. Excellent. I remember it. So he was a hunter, loved hunting, and he wanted to teach Don, Edith's, Edith's, Edith's mom, sorry, uh, you know, take care of herself. He's like, you got to learn how to do all this stuff. It's really important. And so they're out hunting, and it's told through, and he and it's established that he loved photography and taking pictures, and he would buy, you know, the best camera of the time and all that crap. So he had this really fancy camera for some time in the 80s. And it's told through the perspective of video. I guess you could say video recording. Well, well, you're 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 through the perspective of the characters, but you're always looking through the lens. It's not not recording. You're taking pictures, yeah. and as you take the right picture, it brings you to a new scene, which is really clever. It's uh, so, but so I, good. I, yeah. I got stuck though when when it first switches from from uh, Dawn to or for sorry from Sam to Dawn. When when I don't know if I was if I missed the the part. You, basically, you took a picture of a bird. And the bird flew away. And like, oh, where'd the bird go? And he gives the camera to Don. So yeah, you switch from 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 uh, Sam to Don, and I and I got stuck because I didn't know that you're supposed to take a picture of her dad peeing. I was looking for the bird that yeah. flew away, and I was there, and I was like, where the fuck is he at? I'm like looking all, I'm like, well, like I said, I didn't realize that I wasn't him at that point. So I had missed when they said that they switched. So I'm just there looking for this fucking bird. And he's talking about peeing. I'm like, and then I remember when he said peeing, I was like looking down. I'm like, am I supposed to take a picture looking down while I'm peeing over the edge or something? And yeah. I didn't realize that it that he, that was my fault for not hearing it. But but basically, I had to look it up. Where, like where 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 he's at. And he's only like a few feet away. And, that, and so once that's done, though, you know, you're you're just kind of like 
seeing the two bond and it's pretty cool and basically he teaches her how to shoot uh, a deer and she's a kid she doesn't necessarily want to do it but you know she does also doesn't want to disappoint her dad and and stuff so she shoots it she actually well she doesn't kill it quite out she she wounds it and he's like really impressed he's like come on he puts the camera on a timer he's like let's go take a picture of of your first kill, he's he's proud of his daughter and shit. And then in the last second, the deer bucks in death throes and knocks him over the cliff. And the camera takes the picture just yeah. as he's falling. And I was like, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, that that shocked. Me. It's so twisted, but dude, like, <laughs> I was laughing here, also. Um, but it touched me on so many levels. Like on one end, at this point, Edith had mentioned several times that her her mom was sort of a tough depressed person like yeah she mentions uh, several times that Edie being so old sometimes seemed more active or or happier oh, yeah. than than yeah. her mom right and yeah. i think that at this point is when you start understanding that the stories that you're going through yeah it, it you're, you're going through these characters but you're also it's setting like the tone for the next generation because you go from the first generation from Odin and then now you're going through the second generation of Edie's children right which is uh Molly and Barbara and Calvin mm. Sam and Walter I think right and you're starting to understand the, the relationship between these characters and that's so it was so good but also like in each story I was also enjoying myself from a puzzle perspective from mm. the humor, dark humor, the stories, and the relationship between these characters. I found that to be brilliant. Because when this story ends, you really understand more about Don than Sam himself. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Don, Don is a character. Don and the two Ediths you probably learn the most about throughout this story. Mm -hmm. I would so I guess the three generations of, of the women. So that makes sense. And then the next one is Walter, right? Walter, yeah. 1952 to 2005. So this guy, what a weird one this one was, man. So so throughout the whole game, when you first get there, Edie, Edith sorry, mentions that her mom would never let her, or maybe it was the grandma, what, her parents and grandparents would not let her into the basement. And so the whole time I'm like, what the fuck is in that basement? And and one of the parts of the game is you figuring out exactly how to get into the basement, which I think you learn through Barbara's story, right? I think it's through Barbara's story Barbara's that you learn. Barbara's story, but, yeah. And so by the time you make your loop through those those first set of people, you go downstairs and you're like, okay, I read on that comic or whatever how to open this thing. So you 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 twist the the, the music box, you open it up, you go downstairs. Everything looks like a normal ass basement. You notice there's a lot of food and stuff. I'm like, okay, well, I guess they're well stocked. That's cool. And then you find, you find this fucking. I remember opening this regular ass door, and there's this metal door there, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? It's at the fridge, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what the hell? And so you get into this tiny ass room, and, and you fucking see that that Walter, which I guess would be her her mom's brother, right? So her uncle. This no, Walter would no? be great uncle. It's Sam's brother. Sam's brother, which is... So, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Great uncle. Is Edie's youngest, yeah. Right. So, he's been living there for 30 years. Well, maybe not... Oh, I think it was 30 years. Uh, eventually, yeah, so he, so he was down there the whole time, and it overlapped when they lived there. 
that's so creepy to know that your fucking great uncle or any person really is living down there, but you had no idea they were alive. That is so weird. Um, what I didn't catch, though, is why he was in the bunker in the first place. What was he afraid of? Do you remember? Was it just like a war thing? I don't remember, but it, it is mentioned. Well, he's down there for a reason. Yeah. And then he just stayed. And, and his flashback is basically told while, while doing repetitive tasks every day. I think mostly his opening can of peaches. Yeah. <laughs> his life is repetitive, and he hasn't seen light in so long. As a matter of fact, there's like a window frame, a window, yeah, a window frame in there. But behind the frame is just a picture of uh, with a light behind it of like a lake or something. So this, so eventually this one day, I guess in 2005, he decides that I'm leaving here. I'm I'm done with this life. Goes down, goes below the bunker into like this mine shaft, and then starts to walk out. And then is hit by what? Well, when I was playing it, I thought it was a train or something. But he's yeah. hit by something. I think he goes out he, into like a tunnel. And he yeah. has, like, train tracks on it, right? Yeah. And then he's hit by it, I guess, somehow. Yeah. And this is where Edith also learns about that passage, and she goes out through that same tunnel. But, like, I was worried, like, oh, am I going to get hit by a train? Or, or is a train going to be a factor here? But um, when you explore a little bit more, that uh, those tracks have been derailed or whatever, so they're no longer active. But then that's how you get outside of the house. And then, and then you're like around a beach, and you can see at, at some point. I don't know if it's before or after this. You get to look at the house that's in the distance. The house is creepy at first because there's a red light blinking from it, and you don't know right away what that red light is. But what it winds up being is just like a like a caution buoy. You know, don't don't you don't want other other boats to shipwreck on it. So that's I think that's all of the reason it's there for. But like it's creepy. It's a creepy presence that. You don't really know because the deaths are still kind of mysterious at this point. So you don't know if it's like some weird curse or whatever. You don't know what they're really going to give you. I don't think there's anything deeper than just just this shit happens. But um, anyways, the next one, <laughs> Gus's is hilarious. Like, can I mention something before you go into Gus's? Yeah. Sure. yeah. Because um, when you go outside of the house, um, it is really appropriate because that's where you where you end up exploring like the core house, like the original house, right? Because I was Edie's and her children. And then you go outside of the house and then you go through the cemetery, right? Yes, yes. I get, I get that. And then you get more hints about who's actually dead and how and and how Sven, he spent his time building the house and Edie's spent, <laughs> spent her time building the cemetery. And it... Yeah. Uh, and it's really interesting. Like you go through this tour of all of, of the stuff and then you look at the house through a telescope and and all that. And it's pretty um it's pretty good. I would say this is the game's midpoint, like before like the actual um last part with where you go through the people that are more, that are closer to you. As up to this point you're you're learning about these old stories about the house itself yeah. and its members and then you return to the house and, and yeah you see you see how the house it is from from the outside and now you go into the into the extended parts of of the house right the, the newer um kind of like um rooms that are built on top and then you find uh the first thing that you find i think it's um don's gus's and gregory's um room they they all they all have they all live in the same room right so it's interesting too that the house is a metaphor for uh, a family tree and it's literally being built up like a tree Correct. like all the newer generations are higher up so that's pretty cool so these next two are some of my favorites even though they're really dark and i shouldn't laugh at, at some of them but 
but Gus is great. He's like this little punk kid who who's really mad that uh, his dad is remarrying. Actually, no, Gregory's is before Gus because it leads into that. So so Gregory's is so sad, but also kind of hilarious and super whimsical and just like. I think maybe the dark, well, the second darkest story to me in this, in this one. And you're playing as this baby and you're in a bathtub and you're having fun. Like the little bit, you're basically not just seeing a baby's perspective, but the imagination that you, that, you know, adults think that, that babies have. So the, the child is lost in his imagination playing with, you know, his toys in the tub. And then eventually he's like making, using magic to like move the toys around. But, you know, of course it's just him playing. The mom is in the background on a phone in a serious phone call. Um, so, and you're and this is read this this whole thing is triggered via divorce paper. I, I believe you're reading. Um, who's is it? Sam who's talking in this one? Yeah, it's Sam's writing to. I don't remember her name, the, but it's the the second wife, I guess. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. So so yeah, you're reading that divorce paper. You're playing as the baby. Then the mom comes in <laughs> and she, she turns the water tap on, I think, to fill the tub up. Um, she's not paying attention, basically. She's on the phone arguing with some, maybe with Sam, or with someone, yeah. arguing on the phone. And she has the water turned on the, to fill the tub back up or to heat it up or whatever. And the baby's just playing, having a fun time. And what you're doing with the baby's imagination is essentially killing yourself because you basically <laughs> move the, you move this toy frog up to hit the drain, hit the hit the water so that it keeps filling up. Uh, but what really happened is the mom just left it on. Because the baby obviously doesn't have psychic powers and didn't actually turn the water back on. She just didn't turn it off. And so you're, you're then go to this really trippy underwater scene where you're like at the bottom of a lake, but it's also a tub. And it's all like it's all ha- presented happy and whimsical and fun. And like, oh, let's swim down the drain and this hole. What's in there? It's light. And then <laughs> you basically just kill yourself as his baby, and and then you basically read the rest of the divorce paper, and it's like I know you did, I know you you didn't mean to do this, but you know I'm done. This relationship's over, kind of thing. So it's it's heavily implied that because you know they they say in real life that when a couple loses a child, they it's, there's a high chance that they don't stay together anyways. But when the mother is kind of at fault you as a father, even if it was an accident, maybe you can't get over something like that. And so one way or another, he didn't. And uh, that, that, that's how the relationship end. And that's how the life of poor Gregory, who was 1976 to 1977. Oh man, that was, I was so shocked that they killed this baby. Uh, so blatant. And it's such a, in a way, such a real way, you know? Yeah, of course the, the way it's presented isn't real, but like sometimes parents make mistakes and and those mistakes can be very costly, and so it's so so fucked up. Mm-hmm. I loved it in in a morbid sense. I was like, holy shit, this is really good storytelling. Like, I knew what was happening, and I didn't want it to happen, and I knew I couldn't stop it, and I, and I was along for the ride, and I was just like, holy shit. And then and then Gus's, of course, 1969-1982. So that's when you find out. Well, Sam, of course, is remarrying because obviously he's not with. Uh, Gregory and Gus's mom anymore and Gus is being a little bitch about it like I don't want my dad to remarry I don't like stepmom and so they're getting so, so they have their wedding on the beach there is a storm coming and he's out 
being defiant, playing with this kite, and and the whole thing is basically you playing with the kite. But then it gave me some Katamari Damacy feels, which of course I love. Katamari is one of my favorite games because at, at a point in the storm's picking up, that everybody's like, oh, let's move inside. But but Gus is being a little shit. He's like, I want to steer stuff. I don't want to. I don't like stepmom. And um, he's playing with the kite, and then the kite's basically you basically the mechanic is that the wind is picking up the kite and you're picking up the junk off the beach, the chairs, the stuff, but you're actually as a player. <laughs> yeah. so I was just thinking Katamari this entire time. So you have this huge pile of garbage and eventually you just, you, you bring it down onto the tent, I think. And then basically the best part of that was the person who was writing, which I'm pretty sure is Dawn's writing this actually, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Um, she doesn't even know. No one even knows what happened to them until they find the body later on. Because no one noticed he was even gone. Because they're probably sick of his shit and were happy for the break. And then tragically, he dies outside by like a lightning strike or, or, or debris falling on him. However, he actually dies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so fucked up, man. Yeah. But that was it, good, though. To me, that was powerful storytelling. Yeah. And then that room has an upper part, which is Don's little room right yeah. and it's revealed a little bit more about her story but you don't get uh, a dawn story per se right yeah, not, 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 not at that point yeah you just explore her room and then you continue on to the next um i guess the next level of the house which is now your That's generation amazing. your brother right which is edith's yeah. brother anyway So Milton uh, was, was his was really short actually, uh, but what's kind of interesting. So Milton he was 1992 to 2003. So he disappeared. He's the one that Edith mentions at the beginning of the game about her brother disappearing, right? Yeah, must be. He's the one on the gate of the property. Mm. There's a missing sign there. Yeah. So we don't actually know what happens to this kid, but we know he's an artist, and we know he disappears. And it's told, his story is kind of just told through a flipbook animation, which I actually thought was really cool. And as you said earlier, it was a actual reference or, or not or whatever to the Unfinished Swan, which I, of course, did not know. That's super cool. But we don't know what happened to him. So that's all I really can say about, about Milton. And then, and then the last two, I guess, Lewis. This one was really dark, man. 1988 to 2010. And um, just... Yeah, it's 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 more real in a lot of ways than the rest. I think relatable to a lot of people, but but basically, uh, Lewis. Um, so, from what I understand, the catalyst of what caused Don and Edith to leave. Um, so you do see a, a kid who was struggling, possibly with with anxiety, depression, or or something. But he was definitely it was implied that or shown that he was into substance abuse. He lived. He worked at a fish packing plant and the way this story is told is actually really i remember megan was watching it while i was playing it and we were both like oh no we know what's happening well well we don't know exactly we thought at first it was going to be an accident because he's not paying attention to reality so basically this this whole thing is is controlled and played really in a cool way so so you're 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 at your job uh, so basically a fish comes down a conveyor and you move the fish over and then you chop its head off and then throw the body into the processor or what have you so they can the fish later 
And the whole time a new fish comes by, sometimes you might even have a little bit of pile up and you're trying to move through the, move through the fish, I guess, do your job. And, and it becomes second nature to you while you're playing it. Because at the same time, you start to learn that he becomes more and more delusional into this fantasy world that he's created for himself where he's happy, he's a king, or he's cool, or he's a hero, or whatever. And it starts taking up more and more of the screen. So it's so fucking well done. So fantasy slowly starts to become more reality. But it even happens to you as a player because what happens is eventually there's a third player perspective of a character that you're playing in this fantasy and you're playing that with one side of the controller, but you're still chopping fish heads this entire time. And the more the fantasy takes over, the less you even think about the fact that you're chopping fish heads. You're just used to the motion of move the fish over, chop it off. In the meantime, that your, your conscious part of your brain is like controlling the character, listening to the story, but you're still doing the motions you need to do and it's like fuck man that is some genius storytelling Dude, in my opinion in the controls like you're using your right stick yep. to control uh the hand and, and the fish part yep. which is in a way your right hand is a grip to one of the realities and then the other yep. one you're controlling a different reality so it's two dimensions and then there's a third one which Ooh. is the narration of yeah. yeah i think it's a psychiatrist telling um yeah. don this uh story well but but really it's either that is reading so yeah it's so, so it's so immersive right it's like i was totally. completely lost into this story like this is the most yeah. immersive experience that i've played ever like it was so brilliant and i think this one is the better constructed of all of them it and it really puts you on the head of this character you really understand what what they are thinking for sure up until what happened you understand the mental instability you understand the substance abuse you understand how dissatisfied they are with life how they're losing themselves to fantasy and 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 i think it's something that a lot of people can just relate to even even if they're not to the point of you know substance abuse or or possibly having mental ill ill issues but you know as as someone myself who has like ocd anxiety and stuff i can certainly understand the appeal of getting lost in your head and and i've also worked deadbeat jobs before and or dead end job, sorry. At one where you feel like you're going nowhere, you're not achieving any dream, and and you do can you can get kind of lost in these fantasies, and uh, and just the fact that it makes the player subconsciously start doing the motions too uh, is just perfect in my opinion. It is hypnotic, right? It, Would you say it that? is? Yeah. Like it really Absolutely. puts you into this rhythm of like this is what you're doing, and as, as you said, it becomes second nature, but in a way so that it it doesn't allow you to either go deep into one or the other, and then you're still trying to understand the story and when you where you are placed. So you're so deep into the layers of this game, but the the real brilliancy of this is it's mechanical narrative, right? You're you're feeling it, so you're because you're doing it and because of that that hypnotic mo motion, like that's what what it doesn't let you it doesn't let you go right because if if you're in a movie or 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 you're if it's if it's not interactive you could just turn away you could just kind of like you're not doing anything that that has to do with the field is just either watching or, or listening but in this case all of your senses are involved and i just found it so so immersive as i was saying yeah no uh, i'm with you 100% I was really impressed by this scene. Uh, and of course, at the end, character is crowned king or whatever. <laughs> but really, he, he, he's committed suicide and it's a serious subject. And, 
and yeah, it's treated with a bit of of, of tongue in cheek because every every death in this game is. But but I, I even though it's treated with a little bit of humor, it's th- this the message and scene itself is not meant to be humorous. It's it's not, you know, it's it's still a, a, a bad thing that that happens. And uh, but man, it gets you so sucked into it. Uh, and then finally, uh, you you end with Edith. So you find out you're reading Edith's journal, uh, really, and it's revealed that actually she did. Like everyone else, she also passed away. Uh, and the end credits are childhood pictures of all those who worked. Oh, that's unrelated to the actual, uh, sorry, one second. So before that, so then you find out that it's her child who's reading her journal, right? The last surviving member of, of um, the Finches. Yeah, when you get to Edith's uh, room, then you get, I guess... Edie's and and Don's story too, where mm. you know they're trying to leave the house and then Edith mm. and Don leave first, but then Edie doesn't want to leave and then she disappears, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. It's implied maybe that she goes to the house and dies out there or something. We don't know that. And then a few years later, I guess Don uh, gets some some sort of a fatal illness. Yeah, and she dies, and um, <laughs> that's how. A few years later, Edith uh, comes back to the house, I guess. Yep. And then and then she writes this journal about her experience, and then she passes it on to her child who... Yeah. And so I took it as a story being about death and fleeting time and about perceiving death as a curse or something. There's a lot of... But it was definitely death-oriented and, and maybe holding on to the past a bit because all these shrines and, and stuff. But then it's also about avoiding death, too, because the mother locks them all up. And so, in a way, Edie is accepting, kind of accepts death, but also holds on to it. And her mom refuses to accept it and hides from it. Uh, that, I don't know, that's kind of my interpretation of, of that. Yeah, uh, that's that's the game. So, uh, damage. So basically, damage is a recommendation system. Sage and I are responsible in this case for two hearts of HP. Um, it's based on how many hosts are there. But essentially, uh, if we give it no damage at all, we recommend it wholeheartedly. Love the game. Want people to play it. And full damage means that we dislike the game, likely, but certainly wouldn't recommend it. It's not necessarily about the quality of the game, but our own biased opinions on who we would re- on if we would recommend it to people. So. What remains of Edith Finch, man? It's like as I said before, like I haven't played it, uh, many games like this. Like uh, you, you mentioned some of the other games that uh, this game reminds you of. Although I did think of Dear Esther, like that game is definitely not as involved in in terms of of how you experience the narrative. Yeah, you're walking around right. and you're reading text and all this. Uh, but what sets this game apart is the cast of the characters, how they interact with each other, how you get to yeah. know their stories. The mechanical uh, brilliancy of this game is just outstanding. Like the way they use these mechanics for you to feel what these characters were feeling, their relationships, the, the general tone of the game and how it's both super 
depressing and deep and sad, but it's also funny. Like those yeah. two things are, are, you have to have a really good balancing game. You know what I mean? I do, yeah. So I have nothing but good things to say about this game. Uh, I think as an adult now, I, I, I enjoy so much more games that are shorter, games that are more <laughs> contained. Uh, yeah. Games that I can go into them, finish them in in less than a week or a couple of days or whatever. Like I still spend like six hours on this game, so it's not like it's super short either. Um, and you can certainly take your time exploring the house and and getting all those details in. And you can also replay some of the stories. I actually missed Gus's story on my first run. But oh really? You, yeah. But when you finish That's the cool. story, like. Um, it opens a new mode, which is replay mode. And then you can go right. and play the stories that you missed, right? And you notice it because the name is there, but you don't have the portrait of the character. Um, yeah. So you can go in and, and play the ones that you that you enjoy the most. Um, so it's really good. So no damage, for sure. No damage. Uh, everybody should play it. Um, sure. Like, uh, you know... I don't see a lot of obstacles for people to experience this. It's available in a lot of of, of platforms. It's not expensive. It's not super complicated to play. Um, yeah, you mm. know, you, you need to know some you know three D explorations. But but far apart from 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 the accessibility of this game, it's just that to me, it's so unique and it's a great story. You know, great story yeah. that really uses the medium. I talk a lot about what you can do in games that you cannot do on on film that you can do on on uh, on other media. Yeah, that's the perfect example. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Uh Yeah, no damage for me. I'm not going to damage this game. I've already said pretty much everything I want to say about this game. I I love it. I love this game. It was such great storytelling. It was perfectly contained. It was short but sweet. Uh, it's easy to play and access. Everyone should try it out. And I'm and I and I had no interest going in. I had heard about it before. I had dismissed it as kind of like you know, in the same genre of games as like Firewatch, which by the way I, I quite liked, or Edith or uh, uh, Dear Esther and stuff. So interested, but like I didn't realize that it would be a lot better than a lot of the contemporaries that, or what I see as contemporaries. And so it was like a game of like that you suggest, like yeah, that should be fun. Uh, but I didn't expect it to be so good and so so fun and so interesting and just a great short experience. Um, yeah, I love this game. It's so good. Play it. And it's another one of our, our To the Bonus Barrel crew of two perfect game. Right up there with Cuphead. Basically the same game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I guess this is it. So thank you, everybody, for, for listening to another episode of Bonus Barrel. And, uh, yeah, let us know what you think of the game if you've played it. And hopefully, you, if you haven't played it, you didn't listen to the last hour of the show. Because <laughs> you really should experience it firsthand. But, uh, yeah, so this is Rob. And Seiji. See you later. Bye.